Hey folks, it's part four of how to be a whole person and this one is called debunking anger and I'm really excited about this one. I mean this whole series I've enjoyed doing, I'm excited about because the things that I'm telling you about have changed my life and they continue to have ripple effects in the people around me. With this one, I'm probably more excited about this episode than any of the others have done because this one to me is such a game changer. We are a world sick with anger and it has driven us to some crazy unhealthy places. And here's what I'm excited about, that this is one of those things that if you'll have eyes to see it, you can't unsee it. And once you can't unsee something, it can change everything. Now, if you haven't listened to the other episodes, this one is going to be far more satisfying, I think, if you do that first. But if you're one of those guys that forego dinner and you go straight for the ice cream, I'm going to recap for you. Episode one was about how we are a divided self, and I talked about the physicality of that and why it's so important that both of us inside of our head are on the same playing field, working together in agreement, so that we can become honest people of integrity. And then that led into episode two, which was really all about the importance of using our words to fully represent what's going on inside of our brain and how we can use words to build a better life and world. And then that begs the question, well, what's going on deep inside of me that I need to use words to express? And that's why I did the last episode about emotions and why they are so, so important to tap into. If you don't tap into your emotions, you're going to be like a dude driving a small life raft with an eight-horse Evinrude engine out on the open ocean. You're going to think that you're driving yourself and making your decisions about your life the whole time, but your emotions are like the current you are drifting on that if you don't understand them and you don't understand yourself, you will take yourself to a place you never wanted to be and had no idea how you got there when you were fighting against it trying to go the other direction the whole time. Tapping into your emotions actually gives us the power to help steer the current or at least be aware of it. And so I gave you four basic emotions that we now think are, uh, are underlying basically every other emotion we have. And there's all kinds of research on emotions, and I don't want to get off into most of it, um, but there's obviously more than four. There are four irreducible ones that I like to use. Now, a human can make uh, over 20 distinct facial expressions, and we think every one of them is connected to one of these. One, happiness. Two, anger three, sadness, four, fear. I like to say glad, mad, sad, or scared. Now, virtually every human conflict that happens at school, in your marriage, at work, with your girlfriend, you are only going to solve it when you get to the root feeling that someone else is feeling and you match it with empathy. Young men uh, especially tend to be oblivious to this. So, uh, we don't think we think that we're totally operating out of logic so often, and it's so easy to be completely unaware that the whole thing that we're upset about is actually emotional and not logical. So that argument that you had with your wife, like you are going to go in circles if one of you doesn't speak the underlying negative emotions that you're feeling. Your kids are acting out, you'll go in circles ad nauseum if you can't get them to talk about the underlying anger, sadness, or fear. Now, uh, those four feelings, the basics of them, real quick. Number one, I said happiness is when you are living in the moment 
sort of uh, free to live in the present with full joy. Number two, sadness is whenever you're stuck in the negative events of the past. Mourning gets you back to the present. Letting go of your sadness is when you cry or when you mourn and you get back to the present. And then number three, fear is when you're stuck in the negative events of the future. What possibly might happen negatively in the future and I said gratitude is what brings you back slowly to the present now when you express thankfulness for what you currently have it grounds you into your here and now so I skipped over anger for a reason and now anger would you say that anger affects what's going on in our world would you say that anger steers and drives entire people and maybe even entire systems into bad places. Anger elects politicians, and anger abuses wives. And anger drives away our kids. And anger isolates us from our friends. And anger splits churches and businesses. And anger fires perfectly good employees. And Anger causes inheritances to not be shared, and anger splits marriages, and anger starts Twitter battles threatening nuclear war, and anger walks into a crowd with an assault rifle. This one is huge. We have got to debunk anger and expose it for what it is, because our culture is addicted to anger. And it's time that we had an intervention. We are in it so deep that sometimes we've even created systems that disallow us from being honest about what's really going on. Like it can get us fired or not elected again. And I'm seeing before my very eyes us creating a world where quickly anger has almost become a virtue in some places very much a virtue. But here's what all adults need to know about anger. Anger is fake. Once you understand this about anger and what's underneath it, then anger becomes so clearly fake that it becomes like that bad toupee that uh, Clark Griswold's Uncle Lewis is wearing. You just want to shake him by the shoulders and be like, dude, down with a pretend. Baldness is beautiful. Can you just get to the real thing that's going on and I'll love you. Like Most people don't know anger is fake because anger is really good at what it does. Fooling people, including ourselves. Now, go back with me in history. I want to talk about where it came from just a little bit. The most primitive human emotion we think is fear. But 100,000 years ago, we couldn't talk about that. And by then, we had developed this amazing ability to cover it up. Psychologists call anger a secondary emotion because it's always covering up something else. It's a surface level response to a deeper need. It was this evolutionary response of pretend dominance in order to threaten away something that was scaring you or perhaps even making you sad. And we don't like things that make us sad or scared. And if you can't connect your hurt to another person in safety, it's better to scare off the threat. Being scared or sad in the wild could get you killed. Like, can you imagine caveman Bob <laughs> threatened by a saber-toothed tiger and he just rolls over and starts crying? Not going to end well for Bob. Can you imagine Bob trying to be alpha male in the group and another male challenges him and Bob just starts shaking like a leaf and puts his knuckles in his mouth? 
So our brains develop this amazing ability to make fake promises by injecting themselves with borrowed power to get us through to a calmer time. It's very important that you understand that this is not completely controllable or something that you are consciously aware of doing. Like if someone flips you off on the road, you can't not let your heart rate go up. And what happens is this. Here's the physicality of it. Our heart rate increases. Our adrenaline and noradrenaline start pumping. Our testosterone levels increase. Our sweat glands open up. For a short time, we become filled with the ability to actually do more than we could have without it. We call it a rush. We get a power injection of sorts. It allows us to fight or flee more powerfully than we can normally manage or to sort of take over whenever we need to get ourselves out of a sticky situation with force. We call it anger. And it feels good to let all this pent-up rage out. When we let it out, when we scream or when we fight or when we yell cuss words at people, you know, our cortisol levels actually decrease. And then we may feel tired afterwards. We may, may just go drinking out. So anybody know what I'm talking about? Anger is like taking on a power mortgage. You are borrowing power. You are pretending to be dominant, essentially promising the delivery of power that you don't even really have. And then because reality, you're going to have to back it up one day. We can buy you another day. But at some point, you're going to have to come back to the reality of your financial situation because you can't keep going in debt. And by your financial situation, I mean your emotional situation. Now, here's the thing. Your brain is literally rewarding itself with power, with uh, an expensive shot of adrenaline, and you are triggering dopamine receptors in your brain, which are reward receptors. And the same chemical reactions are happening when you give in to your anger as when you gamble or take a hit of cocaine. It feels good to get that rush of power and to let it out. It's like having a huge payout of cash dumped in your lap and then just going and blowing it. But the problem is that you had to borrow to get it. The, the feeling is quite literally addicting, every bit as much as gambling or taking another hit. And so one problem with anger is that you can't keep borrowing forever. Like The problem isn't feeling angry as much as the problem becomes when we keep using our expressions of anger to get us by on a daily basis, we become like someone living off of a credit card with revolving debt. And you really knew this. Like, you know, like I have, that you've, you've had the thought, hmm, me venting isn't really healthy. But, you know, just like any addict, like, give in and we vent anyways. We just gripe, we complain, which is why venting is actually a bad analogy. You are not letting go of anything by griping, you are taking a hit of an addictive drug literally you feel bad in that moment i mean you feel good in that moment but then the, as soon as you get rid of it you feel like you just walked out of mcdonald's right it's why when my kids at home or at school get really mad and i can tell that they're about to lose it i have a lot of special needs kids and, and i will tell them don't you give in because that's what they're so tempted to do and they're sitting there at that same slot machine that they've come to over and over again and i'm trying to be a voice that says guys don't don't keep pulling that. You are losing. 
Every time you overuse your reward receptors in your brain, you light them up with an increase in dopamine, you stand the risk of desensitizing yourself and falling farther into an addiction. And if you are someone who's spiraling in a bad direction, taking another hit of anger isn't helping. Like taking a small shot of it to get you through a rare and dangerous situation can be helpful and if we'll understand it can be useful at times, which is why anger was great in the wild. When we live in a city surrounded by stress, we live in civilization and we can't afford to keep supporting our addiction. I think most of us, like with most of our addictions, we don't realize how deep we're in it. I would ask you, is anger your go-to response when something isn't right in a relationship? Anger puts the onus of responsibility for the thing that went wrong on the other person. It claims ourselves to be right and demands that the other is the one who fixes what's messed up. So is your go-to response to a sticky situation to get mad? Listen to yourself. How often is that your response? Now, there are some things about anger that we need to come to grips with. Number one, if anger is fake, then living addicted to it causes us in the long run to become fake ourselves. Some people say they have a problem with their temper. They don't. Rather, they have a problem with their sadness or fear. They can't express it with words, so they rely on a less powerful, really destructive substitute anger. Now, some of you are going to hate me for this, but here's the truth. That which you despise and get angry about in other people is invariably that which you despise about yourself. Now, come on, you have to admit that's kind of funny. I mean, like, seriously, every time somebody's griping, they're just griping about themselves and using other people as the decoy. I mean, like, that's funny. Listen, seriously, listen to your coworkers. Or better yet, listen to yourself. You may not believe me at first, but Richard Rohr said it, so I know it had to be true. And the longer I've lived with this little tidbit, the more it has proven itself to be invariably true. That which you despise in others is that which you despise in yourself. I met a guy many years ago who loved anger. He was a great guy. I loved this guy. He bragged about how anger was a good thing and more people needed to get angry with him and I got on board with his anger and because anger to him caused us to get off of our duff and do something in the world he wanted to write a book called ticked off trying to get more people mad about injustice so uh, he went to do some incredible work in a poor place and he would from there present anger at wealthy people and often mock people who weren't angry saying that they should be and if they weren't they were just being complacent and and I was all in. Uh, he used to make snide remarks about his wealth, and it didn't dawn on me until much later. Uh, there were a couple of things that he mocked wealthy people for. Uh, one of them, a uh, go-to, was uh, a couple of luxury brands of cars that people would drive. Uh, another thing was he mocked people who lived in gated communities, and it didn't occur to me until later that in his anger what both of us had failed to realize, like neither he nor I connected the dots, that he actually had gone out and bought a vehicle that wasn't a luxury vehicle, but cost more than many luxury vehicles. And in those gated communities that he made fun of, he, he definitely didn't live in a suburban neighborhood, but he eventually built enough walls around his house that you had to go through four gates 
to get to him, all the while mocking people in gated communities. And you know the crazy thing is? I remember so vividly clear the last time this guy was making fun of someone in a gated community. We were standing less than 200 feet from two security guards guarding our gate, the second gate. And here's the point. Neither he nor I even noticed, but stood there in our self-righteousness thinking about how terrible other people might be. This is what anger does to us if we live by it. It turns us into that which we despise because we never faced the truth that we needed to feel safe in our sadness or fear. Anger becomes its own prison. So here's how this works. Anger means that you are faking what you're dealing with at some level, and when you embrace anger, you are embracing fakeness. All right, now if this hasn't already gotten real, it's about to, okay? Because here's where this is headed. Follow me. If you feel it necessary to cover something up, you are declaring to yourself that that thing is worth covering up. We don't cover up tiny freckles because they aren't worth it. We cover up big moles. We cover up internet searches. We cover up addictions. We cover up things that we think should be covered up. And if you continue to cover up something, you are continuing to ascribe more and more value to that thing. The more value you ascribe to that thing, the more you will actually live towards that thing and subconsciously pursue it. Footnote, the principle uh, of this is why maybe a national uh, politician could theoretically do something really, really nasty that is a big deal. He could get caught, skillfully blow it off, and people would still vote for him, theoretically, right? Because it's really important that you understand that this is subconscious. If you cover something up, you're saying it's a value. Show me a guy who is consistently angry about something or someone, and I'll show you a guy who doesn't know it probably, but he is living toward that very thing he is angry at because his anger is ascribing value to it. So you're covering up your fear or sadness, but with it, you're covering up the thing. You cover it up over and over again, and you begin to get this thick blanket of fakeness in that area of your life becomes a blind spot. It's like putting mulch on a flower bed. You know, people in the Bible Belt are more likely to be looking at pornography than people in other less religious states. It's like this um, taboo thing. It's like Rob Bell says, telling your kids not to open door number two only causes them to want to do what? Open door number two. So if I get mad about people looking at porn, you know, I cover it up with anger and more anger and I gripe about that and more and more anger over the years, I have built this thick wall of sadness around it uh, or, or a thick wall around the sadness rather and created a blind spot where something can grow. Because if I have this pattern of not talking about what's actually going on in there, that uh, that also leaves the possibility for my own addiction to grow separately in the darkness. It's like fertilizer. It's like you are covering it up and giving it room to grow all at the same time. And so when we stay in anger about a situation and never expose what's underneath, it just builds a safe space for that thing to actually grow. Now, at the same time, I want you to think about the investment 
it takes to protect that safe space. Every time you protect it, you've invested more time and more energy protecting that hollow ground. Every time you gripe, complain, or talk about something in a sideways, roundabout sort of way when you really just need to get to what's in the middle of it, and you go around it, you are putting more and more hedges around it, you are investing more and more of your time and your energy and your power. When you borrow anger, you are essentially making an investment. You are magnifying the value of the thing you're sad about. You are declaring it worthy, and you are going to want it more and more. You know, they say um, fighting is an act of cooperation between two people. When you engage somebody in an argument, you have just declared them a worthy opponent. If you use anger to fight some sort of injustice, you have just accredited the value and attractiveness of that thing without even realizing it. So if pornography makes you mad and you, sp you spend your time and energy talking about it and create a nonprofit organization to help stamp out pornography in the world and make sad commercials about the destructiveness of pornography, you just cause the stock price of pornography to rise. We are power seekers by nature, and, and you have just made that become more attractive to other people. So in some backwards, weird sort of way, anger, when we are addicted to it, causes us to become more like the thing that we think we hate. Do you realize that this past year, at a national level, the United, a systemic level, the United States elected uh, a president because of this very principle. Like, what is the U.S. president great at? He is excellent at stirring the pot by making outrageous statements, love him or hate him, that will gain support from some people, but often so dumb and divisive that it's like throwing a bacon in front of a dog to his opponents. His opponents cannot resist getting dragged into fights. Whether he realized it or not, he was trolling the American people the whole time. He probably didn't even know he was doing it, but he said such nonsensical things that his opposition was scared of him getting elected. And instead of all jumping on Facebook and Twitter and saying, I'm scared that this crazy man might get elected and do X, Y, Z, the entire nation jumped on Facebook and Twitter and said things like, he's stupid. And they said things like, this is why he's wrong and this is why we're right. They fought him and they labeled him and they made fun of him. And in doing so, we're actually investing power and credibility in him, which is why in a two-party political system, they will co-evolve to feed one another's anger. They will give fertilizer or fodder for the opposite party. Now, a quick aside. Um, I want to answer a couple of questions that you may have about anger. Um, what about righteous anger? Is that bad? Is anger always bad? Now, I'll respond to that with a question, okay? So, I want you to think about this. If anger is a loan on power, is it always and forever bad to take out a loan for any and every reason? Uh, the key word is righteous, and here's what makes righteous anger righteous. Righteous anger is that anger when we see our own faults in the same light that we see others' faults in. It's when we know full well that we are messed up too in the same way, and not in some general sense of, hey, I'm a sinner, but like, you know you've done the exact same thing, and when you find, uh, when you realize that you've done the exact same thing, 
then it really changes the changes the dynamic of it quite a bit because you become more in control of your anger. So like when you find that your teenage boy got drunk uh, last weekend and you know that you are mad precisely because you did the same exact thing in high school, like I don't know, maybe your righteous anger is exactly what he needs to get him to wake up. But don't forget, you're really sad underneath that, aren't you? Like you're really afraid for his future. Just don't forget what lies underneath fear and sadness. It's okay to use righteous anger to create a little bit of righteous fear, but don't make a living off of it. If your emotions are a current that is taking you somewhere, sometimes it's good to let them take you where they are taking you. And sometimes you can even get there faster than you could paddle on your own, but don't lose sight of where you are. We have a world that is lost in their emotions, lost from their emotions. So use righteous anger wisely and don't get caught up in the world of the plastic face, makeup covered, Photoshop, fake attempts at power grabbing. Okay, uh, second question that I, that I was thinking about. Uh, number two, what about when someone gets angry at you? What do you do? Now we have this very reactive defense system that causes us to automatically want to match anger with anger. You know, it's really helpful to understand this. There's an old proverb that says, I am not who you think I am. You are who you think I am. When someone else gets angry at you for being mean or greedy or selfish, they're actually prescribing motives to you that belong to them. They think you have the same motives they do, naturally, because that's the only frame of reference they had. Prescribing your own motives to other people is ancient and it's natural, but on the other hand, it's untrue and it's completely feeding the monster of anger and you can quit by not feeding it back. You can walk away from it. You don't have to engage someone in some sort of defense of why you're not like the thing that they think you're like. If someone gets angry at you, just understand that you are not who they think you are. They are who they think you are. And that creates a whole new world of possibilities for how you can treat them. Uh, we can quit by finding words, appropriate words. I'm sad, I'm scared, I'm frustrated. Uh, this is highly personal. But you know, it's also global and collective. When we start to dismantle the fake things that have grown out of our anger, Human connection and collective purpose starts to thrive and grow. You ever seen people collectively and vocally sad about the same thing get into a fight? I mean, maybe, but like how often do you fight at funerals? I mean, when, when, when were you in a place where you shared collective sadness with words like Friday night at summer camp in a confession booth? openly speaking about your sadness like when were you ever there and then it devolved into a fight maybe but like when you share that in an open and safe place then you can build healthy things from that I think it's one reason why so much good can come out of a disaster like maybe some of the hurricanes we've had this year because it's kind of hard to get mad at mother nature and most people feel free to express their sadness and fear in those times and then whenever we just can do that on level ground together we can actually build something collectively together without the bickering we can start to create a world together like the one that we want I mean I don't want to get political um, but how powerful would the gun control movement be if advocates of gun control just said, 
You know, mass shootings scare me. I feel afraid every time I hear of another mass shooting. I'm afraid for my kids. I'm afraid to go in crowds. I get nervous every time I see a suspicious person. And what if they left it at that and didn't try to attach some sort of control like, hey, we've got to do X, Y, or Z or pass this law. What if they just said, I'm afraid. Can somebody help me here? Suddenly, an opponent might actually be able to empathize without being defensive. Like they may be able to say, you know, I guess I can see where you're coming from. I don't personally get scared at those same things. I've been around guns my whole life. I don't know anybody who's ever been shot or killed. But I can see how that can make you scared. And, and then what What if gun control opponents, um, Second Amendment, NRA backing, you know, what What if they might be able to say, you know what, I get it. Um, but you know what scares me? Uh, giant government, you know, that runs and snowballs with power and we become helpless to protect ourselves. Like that scares me because it's happened in the past and it's we're not immune to it in this place. And so like what if they said that and just left it at that, you know, um, we might actually have the freedom to say, you know, I can see that. I, I could see how that could make you feel that way. I don't share that same fear, but I, if you're not trying to control me, I'm free to understand where you're coming from. But instead, what we've done is somebody's fear, cloaked in anger, starts to control and dominate, and it threatens opponents, and they react, and we have myriad video after explanatory video telling us why the other side of argument XYZ is completely stupid and illogical and the younger generation has just blocked you from social media because they're like, I can't take this. Like As long as you, all you have is logical left brain controlling argument of words that uh, that attempts to destroy your opponent, you will build a wall of anger and fakeness and hurt and rage. This is why debunking anger is so important. You know, I can't help but wonder, what if some of the major acts of terror and shooting and killing that have gone on in our world, what if someone, like people, real individuals, had learned at some point in their life to debunk their own anger and communicate the underlying fear or sadness? See, this is the the hopeful I, I would even call it gospel news, that we as a human species can start to destroy the stronghold of the debt of anger when we start to dig underneath ours and pull up the roots and expose it to the light. When we merely start to change our language where our words match the deeper realities, we call that truth. I'm scared. I'm sad. This is what's going on. This is reality. Then all of the empires that we've built on the foundations of fakeness, all of the trees that have grown in that fertilized ground starts to die. It starts to die and decay and be destroyed and new things can grow up in truth trees of life now it's as simple as recognizing on a personal level hey i'm sad hey i'm scared and connecting with another person and when you're doing that you're taking a risk we aren't in the wild anymore but it can be a hostile world out there and presenting weakness can get you attacked but you know it can also get you connected so I believe that connection will win out in the end. Let me take this to a personal level because it starts with you and me. Um, when you pull out what's been controlling you and you hold it out into the light with open hands, you're leaving people with a choice 
and you are declaring that you believe that empathy is more powerful than anger, essentially you believe that love will win. So I want to close by asking you, what's underneath your anger? What are you scared of? What are you sad about in the past that you haven't let go of? What are you still dealing with? What kind of complicated feelings are you confused about? Is there a way that you've covered up that stuff with anger and you haven't let it come to the light? Who do you need to tell about it? The cool thing is we actually have a world where you can pay professionals who don't e- you don't even know to listen to you without any fear of shame. That may be your first step. Go pay somebody and they'll just sit and listen to you and you're just another person in there. Now, eventually, you can't live in that, in that place. You have to go out and learn to deal with the people around you in your, in your real life. But that could be a great, easy first step that doesn't take just a whole ton of courage. And then move forward and become the type of person who actually doesn't accept anger from other people. Like quit being defensive and just find out like when someone else is mad at you what's really underneath that. Oh, yeah, I see. You're sad. You're, you're scared. What, what are you frustrated about? And then maybe build a small bridge of connection. And that's what the next episode is about. So we're going to go into attachment, brain development, facial expressions, and why raising kids shows you how messed up you really are. So keep on the watch for that. Love you guys. Thanks for listening.